In Session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Um, wanted to make another announcement. I announced it on Monday for my seminar next Sunday, March 26th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. The title is Living a Life with Meaning and Purpose. That's March 26th, 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. Tickets are $40 at the door. Hope to see you there. And also another announcement for the book of this week, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. Uh, I've put a picture of the book on my Facebook page in case you want to make sure you're getting the right book. But that's How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. Now, speaking of life um, and sometimes the things we neglect in our lives, I wanted to talk about an article today that I came across from the Boston Globe. And the title is, The Biggest Threat Facing Middle-Aged Men Isn't Smoking or Obesity, It's Loneliness. So, as the title suggests, there is more and more research showing that loneliness can be a very, almost deadly, but a harmful um, thing to have in our lives. Or if we're experiencing it, it'd be very harmful. And we're finding that middle-aged men are experiencing especially high levels of Loneliness, and the article was looking at exactly um, that. So, to begin with the article, the the writer uh, talks about the journalist talks about how he himself noticed that he's experiencing loneliness, although he didn't really want to um, recognize it or he wasn't really aware of it. But he saw that he actually was not being very social or having lots of close friends, and this is something that a lot of middle-aged men are experiencing. As the article itself cites. Women tend to have a better or be better at keeping friendships and maintaining friendships even if they don't see one another. They can maintain friendships over the phone, although it's not ever going to be as good, but they can be better at that than men are. He kind of makes some funny comments about after five minutes trying to catch up with one of his guy friends. One of them will say, all right, I'll catch up with you later and ends the conversation, whereas his wife can stay on the phone for long periods of time. Uh, with her friends. So uh, it's a really interesting article looking at how important it is for us to be aware that when we think of health, we usually think of things like uh, exercise, smoking, and our diet, but we don't always recognize the importance of social interaction and the social life that we have and how this makes um, a big impact. So looking at some of the research that the article discusses, Loneliness has been linked to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke and the progression of Alzheimer's disease. And one study found that it can be as much of a long-term risk factor as smoking. So smoking is something that we 
um, you know, it's been very clearly established, it can be very, it's very bad for our health, uh, we're finding that loneliness can be just as damaging to an individual's health. Um, and another study from Brigham Young University found that loneliness could also increase our chances of premature death, so dying earlier than we'd like. So what does this mean? Um, and also, first we have to think about what it means for us, because most people might not think of themselves as very lonely because we're very busy. Most people feel busy and they don't think they have a lot of time, and that's exactly why they don't make the time to be social, to to be with their friends. First and foremost, although the article doesn't get into this, maintaining a healthy friendship with your partner, your husband, or your wife, if you have one, is very important. As I've talked about many times before, research shows us that that's one of the most important components for keeping a marriage healthy, happy, and strong. So there hopefully is a friendship there, but also we have to invest time in our friendships outside of the relationship, outside of our marriage. And this can be difficult because if you work and if you have kids and of course you have your partner, there might not seem like there's enough time to do that. And again, for men, this can be harder to do, harder for them to maintain those friendships um, unless they put some effort into it. And it does take that type of effort. Something else the article mentions, which is which is interesting, is that um, for men, what seems to work better, again, women can maintain friendships and remain connected by communicating from the phone and maybe just catching up. But for men, it seems that they need to have an activity that galvanizes them or keeps them connected and a regular activity. Um, the, the author mentions that he would go, he was training for a marathon with a friend. And because of that, they trained for two marathons during that time because they would run together, they would run alongside and catch up and spend a lot of time together. He got very close with them, but once they stopped training for the marathons, they become became distant again, and they weren't as close. Uh, this actually reminds me, when I was reading it, my brother Parham um, and his friends, and I've joined them before, but definitely not as regularly, they do what they call Sunday basketball. And every Sunday, they get together and play basketball for a couple of hours, and um, like other things on Sundays, it's almost like a religious thing for them. They don't miss it no matter what, and they put a lot of effort to make sure that it happens every week. Uh, and reading this article made me recognize how important that is. You know, they've been doing it for quite some time when they were young men, but now uh, we're all entering closer to middle age, so they are at risk, as you know, this article is talking about for middle-aged men. And I hope they continue that process, although... Um, might have to be a little bit careful on how aggressive they play basketball with each other as they get older to not increase the injuries. But it is a very good thing that they do that as far as the social interaction and getting that uh, from each other. And because of that regularity, they won't miss it if they keep that, that consistency. Now, the reason why men do much better with activities or shared activity, and they almost need that compared to women, they've done research looking at when women and men communicate with each other. So when women are talking to women and men are talking to men, women tend to look at each other in the eyes and communicate. Whereas men tend to be looking away from each other, maybe looking at the same thing, but talking, um, whether it's out in the distance or maybe it's a sporting event, whether they're at the game or on TV, but they find that men tend to communicate in that way. Now we can say that it's better maybe for men, even we can improve increase our intimacy by having more eye contact, but this seems to be natural in a sense, and I've heard some 
uh, anthropologists or psychologists talk about how this could even be an evolutionary type of thing where women were uh, in a hunter traditional hunter-gatherer society. The women were together looking at each other, working on things um, in their kind of home camps or wherever they were, whereas the men very regularly were hunting. And when they were hunting, they were talking, but they were looking out at something. They obviously had to be vigilant, so they couldn't be looking at each other and sharing that kind of eye contact, but they were looking out together and they actually bonded in this way while not looking at each other, but doing something together. So this might make sense as to why men might still have more comfort in that way and don't experience as much comfort having eye-to-eye contact uh, and looking at each other with eye contact while they communicate. So for men, it's important to have these shared activities. It could be a card game, it could be backgammon or some kind of board game, It could be something athletic, like my brother with his Sunday basketball or something else. But it is important to have something and to make sure you make it consistent. Because as I've talked about, and I'll talk about at the seminar next Sunday, if we don't keep something consistent or if we don't plan for it ahead of time, we won't likely put it into our schedule. And I hope the everyone listening, especially the men listening, take this seriously, that this is no joke when they say, it's worse than or as equal to smoking or could be worse than obesity. We, we can't take that lightly. We have to take that very importantly and make sure we plan in our days the and plan in our weeks that we have these types of things going on. So if you're a woman and your husband doesn't have this, you might want to encourage him to do so. Um, as much as the friendship we have with one another is important, it's also important that we have uh, friendships outside of the marriage or that we maintain and we keep. I see this a lot with newlyweds and this idea that my partner is supposed to be my best friend. And so best friend almost starts to evolve into only friend. And when we become so busy with our lives, we start to lose that sense of having those outside friendships. And we just come home and have each other. And having each other is great, but it's not going to be enough. We do need to maintain these friendships and, and to make sure we put enough time into them as well. So I hope you'll check this article out. Again, it's from the Boston Globe. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. And of course, this article focuses specifically on friendship and not being surrounded by people. But I also think on a deeper level, there's sometimes reasons we choose to be lonely um, from social anxiety or also just related to that a lack of self-esteem where we might actually push people away or decide not to be close to, to anyone. And especially as men get older, both men and women get older, we see a lot of people losing individuals to, to death, of course, but that happens with age. And a lot of older individuals can experience loneliness as well. And so if you are yourself an older individual or have someone in your life who is, we want to recognize that having them be social and involved with other people is very important. It's not just something to keep them busy or it's nice. It's actually can be a matter of life and death and can be something that if they don't experience can really seriously harm them. So we want to make sure and recognize the importance of socialization. We are definitely social beings, just like we need food and water and shelter and air. We also need to have social connection and social interaction. Uh, In previous shows, I've talked about how studies have found that the best predictor of our long-term happiness and studies that have looked at happiness, one of the most important things is the quality of our relationships. So this is something important. 
But again, if we don't invest time into creating and maintaining those friendships and those relationships, they'll slowly uh, dwindle. And actually, the book of this week, How Will You Measure Your Life, by Clayton Christensen, talks about this in regards to our families and also just socially how we do, that if we don't plan to see our families or if we don't make sure we set aside time for it, we tend to lose track of that and lose that investment or lose the investment that we put into those relationships. So let's take this seriously. We need to be social. We need to be connected. And we need to make sure that our loved ones have that as well. So if you're a middle-aged man and this resonates with you, take this seriously. Tell your friends, hey, let's do something every Wednesday, every Thursday, whatever it might be, and just get together for a couple hours and do it no matter what and keep that consistency up. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. We'll be right back. Back to in session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Wanted to talk about a topic that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, based on a study, but something that I see in families, especially Iranian families, but it's not just for Iranian families, that um, made me want to bring it up again. So I talked about a, a study that found that uh, same-sex marriage laws helped reduce suicide attempts by gay, lesbian, bisexual teens. So in states where they saw changes in the laws related to same-sex marriage, they saw a decrease in suicides between these people who were considered sexual minorities, um, people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, which we know, unfortunately, historically have a higher level of suicide attempts um, and completed suicide. So we know that it's more of a risk for these individuals. And when I posted this article, most people responded, well, I did get some messages from people who disagreed or wondered, well, what difference does it make with the laws? Um, Being gay in the United States is nothing scary or it's nothing, you know, it's not like in other countries. So yes, in other countries, it can be far worse. People are literally still killed for this, something that is um, really unacceptable and not okay. So fortunately in the United States, we don't have that in many countries around the world, but it doesn't mean that it's easy or there's no uh, pressures to being a gay individual in our society. And that's something we, we have to look at. But then also I wanted to bring this up related to being in an Iranian family and being gay and how, what that experience can be like, and also how families respond and how important that can be. Because we can draw a lot of parallels based on the story and how families respond to an individual in their own family. So this study demonstrates how important it is for people to feel loved and accepted, really more, let's say, accepted for who they are. And that's an important part, who they are, because what we now recognize more and more, and I think more people are becoming aware of this, is that being 
uh, gay or lesbian, transgender, is something that is a way that someone is born. They are born that way, just like they might have brown eyes or brown hair, have a certain height. Um, they are born this way. That's what they are, um, you know, it's not a choice. It's just the way they are born. Also, when people say it's not natural, we do see uh, homosexual behavior in the animal kingdom, in nature. So it's not something that doesn't happen or it's not something that's man-made or artificial or anything like that. It's natural and it exists and someone is born that way. So first, we, we it's important to start from that premise to recognize no one's choosing to be in that way how they are. It's what they are. And that's why it's important for us to accept them as they are. But when society sends the messages, which it has historically, where um, either we discriminate very outrightly in negative ways, even physical abuse or pain, or we say, okay, everything's equal, but you can't get married. And we think that doesn't matter. And we think, well, as long as we're saying they can't get married, you know, that's not a big deal as long as everything else is okay. We're not recognizing what we're telling them, which is somehow you are not okay. Not all of you is acceptable to us. Your love is not acceptable to us. Your romantic love, your desire to be with someone is not accepted by us as a society. And of course, this sends a message. And that's why I think I was very happy to read these statistics that it was leading to a reduction in suicide in this population. But of course, it also reminds us of how important these laws and the ways we as a society treat different groups, that it affects them to the point of feeling that they don't want to even be alive. Because when you tell someone they're not accepted as they are, and they can't change that, sometimes you leave them with no other choice but to think, well, well, how can I be in this world? How can I survive in this world if part of me is not okay? And so this study, and I posted it a few weeks ago, maybe I'll repost it so people can check it out. To me, it was very important for us to look at. And to me, it's just surprising because it's almost like we keep going through these these steps of, okay, um, should this group be accepted? And then we think, okay, yeah, uh, in, in the United States, should women give, be given the right to vote? Let's say, um, okay, fine, now we're going to let them vote and try to give them equal rights. African Americans, should we give them rights to vote? And Okay, we're not sure, there's a debate, and then, okay, tr now it's gay and lesbians, should we do give them equality? Uh, let's think about it. Okay, let's do it. Transgender now is still one that's a little bit shaky. And it's, it seems that it's it's strange for me that we don't recognize that all human beings deserve these rights. We don't have to try to figure it out which human beings deserve rights. They're called human rights. So women's rights are human rights. Gay rights are human rights. Trans rights are human rights. We don't have to think about which groups deserve them and which groups don't. Don't Every human being, by being born a human being, deserves human rights, deserves all of the things that come with that respect, dignity, acceptance, um, of course, tolerance, and we don't have to try to figure it out. So if you're trying to think who should have equal rights or not, it's very simple. You don't need to think about that. Everyone deserves equal rights, and we don't have to try to figure out which group is next in deserving that. We, we should just give it to everyone inherently by being human. But now I do want to bring it to the family. So this is looking at a larger scale. And when I've worked with families or just personally seen families, especially Iranian families, dealing with having a child who is, let's say, gay, I've seen it be a very difficult process. Now, to begin with, not just in Iranian families, we know that this is a very difficult 
process for a lot of families to deal with. Of course, very difficult for the person coming out more than anything. And heartbreakingly, the statistics show that we have higher levels of homelessness among the LGBT teens, um, primarily because often when they do come out, they're still, or maybe not often, but it still happens that they're kicked out of their own homes or disowned by their families, which is heartbreaking. Again, for being born a certain way, for just being who you are, you are kicked out or not accepted, or you're, the love that should have been unconditional from your parents is somehow taken away. But so this still happens. Now, um, in Iranian families, I'm sure it does happen. I, I don't know so many incidences personally where they've been disowned, but I've seen different levels of not accepting the individual. Now, we can look at that in, in several ways. What does that mean? So an individual coming out is a very, and by coming out, I mean revealing their, that they are not heterosexual, that they um, uh, are either gay, lesbian, bisexual, whatever, or transgender, whatever it might be. Coming out is a big process. And I think it's interesting because I can imagine maybe it'll be not definitely probably not in our my lifetime and maybe several lifetimes there'll be a time where there won't be such a thing as coming out because it will be so accepted that it will just be um you know someone might wonder what your sexual identity is but it won't be any shame or embarrassment or fear of sharing that because we will be so accepting and tolerant but we're definitely not there yet and that's why it is uh, often a very scary thing for people and a very personal thing we can never tell someone even if you know for example that your friend is that they should now tell their family because it's a very personal process to reveal this to an individual but if you have a if you're in a family and someone does come out to you um initially there can be shock from families and like, let's say in an iranian family it can be shocking and i don't want to undermine that and just say it should be so easy for you and don't think about it or don't even have any thoughts, you have to be true to yourself and how you're feeling and recognize what that is. For many families, this includes things like recognizing some of the thoughts I had about my child change or thoughts about their future. I was imagining a wedding with a husband and a wife and well, that now might not be the case or that they can naturally reproduce and maybe they can't naturally bring about a grandchild, although they still can. But there's some things that we might have to deal with and accept. But what we want to show to our child more than anything is that we love and accept them no matter what or who they are, whatever that might be. And of course, this isn't just in this instance. It should be from birth that they have this feeling that I love you no matter what, um, no matter what you do, even if you don't approve of something they're doing doesn't mean your love goes away. That love should be unconditional. And really with children, that's the only place where love truly is unconditional. Uh, you might think, oh no, I unconditionally love my husband or wife, but if they were to abuse you and cheat on you and you know, do a whole bunch of things, I would actually hope your love would have that condition that it's no longer going to be there and you would end the relationship and stop loving them. So we'd like to think it's unconditional, but within a certain scope, it might almost be unconditional, but there are places where that changes. But with our children, that love should be unconditional. You can disapprove of what they're doing. You might not like what they're doing. You might even distance yourself from them if they're hurting you, and let's say in some way, but once they're older. But your love should be unconditional. Now, with your child, they should be feeling that in whatever they might say to you. If they reveal that to you, I would hope you can make them have that sense that they feel that way from birth and you know, uh, reiterate that if they were to come out to you. But what I see with a lot of families is 
they might say, okay, no, we accept him or we accept her for being being gay or being a lesbian. We accept it. But they really don't because when it comes time to, okay, uh, your son is now dating someone. Do you want to meet that person? They say, oh, no, no. His boyfriend can never come in this home or he can never bring his boyfriend to family gatherings because that would bring about shame or embarrassment. But we fully love and accept him. No, that's actually not the message you're giving your child when you tell them that I fully love and accept you, but I don't accept your partner or your love or this part of you, which is a, can be a big part of someone's identity. The message you're sending was that I don't fully accept you. I don't fully love you. And if they have another brother or sister who is straight and they can bring their partner to the home without any problems, very clearly you're sending that message that something about you is unacceptable or shameful or embarrassing or whatever it might be. And you're giving them that message that you are not okay. You are not accepted. So there's a lot of different ways that our acceptance of our children or anyone dealing with this, with uh, being a sexual minority, deals that we reflect that to them in many different ways. And we have to be aware of that. If your child comes to you and says this, if you want to let them know that you love them, well, then love them in every way, just like you would if that wasn't the case. Um, and support them in whatever decisions they are making. The good news is I hear some parents, they'll say, well, I get worried because of how people are going to judge them or treat them in society. And like I said, there is still prejudice and discrimination against people who are gay and lesbian. It's gotten much better for the transgender community. That's It's still a step behind, we can say, and we have much more progress to make. But yes, there is some... Um, discrimination there and it is not as easy as being straight still in even american society the good news is it is getting better and if we look at the future generations when you talk to kids they care a lot more about these issues than we do they don't really see it the way we do just like i shared the story last week of Jax and reddy the uh the white and african-american boy who are best friends who really didn't see their color distinction between the two of them uh children don't really care about these things. They might recognize it, but they don't notice it as something that's worthy of discrimination or not liking someone. Or I hear families say, well, how will they explain if they have kids to the to the kids at school that, you know, I have two dads or I have two moms? And you just did the explanation right there. They say, I have two dads or I have two moms. And most kids are going to actually be okay with this, much more okay than you think. But so how society treats them, fortunately, is getting better. But that's also something that's not in your control. Yes, as a citizen, you can play a part in that and, and you have that responsibility, but really you can only control so much of that, very little of it, really. The only thing that is in your control fully is the relationship you have with your child, how you treat them and judge them for being whoever they are, whatever they are. If they are gay, how you treat that, that's 100% in your control. How society deals with them, well, that's for society to deal with and hopefully make progress on. But how you treat them is 100% on you. And even you can go to therapy to deal with the issues you might have related to this. Um, again, it's I don't want to make it seem like it's so easy to just change your mind on these issues. I understand it's a deeply ingrained emotional and it feels like moral issue for many people, which means that we can't just shut it off like a light switch. It's still there. But therapy can help us recognize where this comes from and recognize that we can slowly evolve in how we feel and to make sure that our 
kids and our loved ones understand that we love and accept them fully for being who they are, hopefully so that they can really take that in for themselves. Unfortunately, when we grow up in a homophobic society and then a homophobic family, this reinforces us this idea to the children that they are not lovable if they are that certain way. And just like that study shows, when the laws don't make them feel that they're equal and that they're valued, people unfortunately see themselves that way. So very often people who are in the LBGT community can themselves have negative feelings toward themselves. It's internal uh, homophobia, you can call it, where they actually judge themselves in a negative way and feel bad about it. And so it's up to us and our family to make sure that they don't feel that way. And even when your kids are young, saying judgmental things about different groups does have this effect on them where they see that some people in your eyes aren't good. Even if it's about races, of course, your child's race can't change, but especially if it's about sexual identity, if they hear you making comments about gays and lesbians somehow being bad or not good or immoral or dirty or whatever other word you might throw at it that some people might use, unfortunately, well, think what happens when then they grow up. And also just promoting intolerance is not something good for your children either. So really, I do want to make this point clear because I hear it and see it in so many families, that it's our responsibility as parents, it's responsibility of the parents to show their children that they love and accept them no matter what. And if it comes up, this issue of being gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, we make them know that we still love them no matter what. That to us, that doesn't make a difference. We see them at their core as our child and that we love them. And those issues will never change that. Nothing can change that for us. And if we accept them, we accept all of them, who they are, their relationships, their love, just like we would if they were straight or just like we would no matter what. So we want to make that feeling of love and acceptance unconditional and full for them so that they can hopefully internalize that towards themselves as well. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Hello, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Not sure if he is on the phone. Hello? Radio Hamra, are you there? I guess not let's see if we can try this again hello radio hamra you're on the air no okay so apparently he was not with us we're going to put him on hold to call her if you want to uh call back we will be here um so as i was mentioning uh 
about the seminar I'll be doing next Sunday, March 26, 3 to 6 p.m. Um, the title is Living a Life with Meaning and Purpose. And of course, as the title implies, I'm going to talk about um, trying to find a living or living a meaningful and purposeful life. But also I will talk about how you want to create that for yourself and how if we don't actually proactively schedule our lives, our weeks, our months, you won't include everything that you need uh, in your life. So there's going to be a lot about that um, at the seminar as well. And this book for this week, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen, also addresses that, that first making sure your work is something meaningful to you, um, but also making sure that um, your life is meaningful to you, that the things you want to do in your life are the things that you end up doing in your life. So if you want to have a life where you want to be a good parent. I was talking about in the last week, something, the last segment about that. How are you going to bring about, or what would your life look like? So let's think about how would you want to be as a parent? How would you want to be as a husband or wife? How would you want to be as even a sibling in your family? And really think about each of those aspects of your life, even write them down. What would it look like? Because most people want to do most good things. If you talk to most people, they say, I want to be a good father who's involved with my kids. I want to be a good, uh, let's say, wife. I want to be um, good at with my work and do something I love. I want to exercise. I want to take care of myself. I want to meditate. I want to help other people. They want to do all these things, but most people don't actually end up incorporating them into their lives. So they want to do them, but they don't do them. Well, the reason is that if we just coast through our life without proactively planning them, we won't have the time or we won't make the time to do most important things. Um, or we'll tend to do the things that give us the most immediate results. And as uh, Clayton Christensen describes in the book, this tends to be in our work because we tend to get the most immediate results there. You go to work, if you work harder, you might get a promotion, or if you work longer, you'll make more money and we start putting more and more time into that not recognizing the neglect in the other areas of our life that are very important like being with our families and spending time there so without a proactive approach most of us end up in this autopilot of using most of our time towards our career and neglecting the important people and the important relationships in our lives so at the seminar um, i plan to uh, get into all of that and also help us look at what means a meaningful and purposeful life. What does that mean and what does that mean for, for each of us? Um, we're having some issues with the phones. I want to see if they're working. I'm going to go to a caller. Hopefully they're there. Radio Hamra, are you there? Yes, hello. Doctor. Yes, hi. We were having some issue with the sound before. Yeah, I could hear you, but somehow you couldn't hear me. Yeah, we couldn't hear you. We're glad it's working now. Uh, thanks for calling. Yes, doctor. My name is Reza. I'm um, 64 years old. I was 25 years old when, back in 1977, I came to United States. So, going to school, I mean, I never have any relation with anybody when I was in Iran. And then when I came to United States in college, 
some girls, you know, came to me and I didn't know how to communicate with them, you know, because I did raise in a family that always my dad arguing with my mother mm -hmm. and fighting, so I hate it, you know. So I think that you take on me not to be able to communicate with people, you know, just talking to them. Anyway, after I finished school, well, during this time, you know, especially you far away from the family and you are here and you want to have relation with someone, you know, especially the culture is different over here than from Iran. I, I messed up all the relation with the woman and the girls. So when I finished school, I was in Norfolk, Virginia. When I graduated back in 1982, I didn't want to go back home, so, and I couldn't get the job in Norfolk because I think they were, immigration was very strict or they have a lot of naval bases. So I have a friend in Richmond, which is the capital, and he asked me if you come to Richmond, probably can get the job without asking about work permit. So I moved to Richmond and so I want to get, you know, place to live. So I knew if I go to the school, some university, some of the students, they have to ask, you know, they're looking for roommate because I wasn't sure how long I'm going to, how, how long I'm going to be there in Richmond. So I went to school and I find the address that said they need the roommate. So I went to the address. It was an apartment in uh, third floor. I knocked the door and these poor girls opened the door and I told them, you know, what the app you have. And she said, oh, yes, we are like three girls over here. One of them moved out and now we are two girls. So I was surprised. She didn't even know me. She didn't know, I mean, who I am. She said, yes, you can be a roommate over here. I noticed it seemed like, you know, she, she likes me, you know, and uh, her name was Vicky. By the way, you don't have to get into the names because rather, I'd rather leave names of people out of okay. Uh, the area. Okay. Now, is this related to the question specifically, what happened here? Well, uh, Another girl show up and uh, uh, she's the one I saw relation with her, mm -hmm. and she was my girlfriend. So one day when I was working at restaurant, immigration came and uh, they asked about the work permit, and uh, I said I don't have it. So they said just give you your passport. Um, you know when you're ready to go back home, you know just you know, come get your passport and go back to Iran. So when I came to back to apartment, when I told, you know, my girlfriend, actually I have a brother in Texas, so I called my brother first and he said, uh, and he was citizen at that time, he said, just don't worry about it, you know, just come to Texas and uh, apply for your green card. So when I told my girlfriend, she start crying so that I have to, you know, go to Texas. And she said, no, I'm, a, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to marry you. So at that time, she was 21, and I was, like, 31. 
And I mean, I like her so much. You know, I love her. She was nice. She was smart. Actually, she was getting a degree in psychology also. But uh, at that time, I was loving somebody else. You were loving somebody else? Somebody I'm, I met before in Norfolk, and I met her up relation with her too. You know, it's like she was looking for long-term relation, and, you know, I thought, you know, I thought doing with a friendship, and I met her up, you know, with so many girls like that, so... Right, but if you're with, with, I mean, we're talking about 30 years ago, but if you're in a relationship with one person, you can't start a relationship with someone else. No, I didn't have any relation with that that lady. That's okay. the one called the name. The one in Norfolk, I didn't have a relation. I met her up, and we didn't have any relations. So with this girl in Richmond, yes. Okay. So anyway, she asked me, and we got married. So you married which girl? The, the first, the girlfriend? The one in Richmond. The, the one... Okay. The one. So well, it's, I, it's getting very complicated. When I moved to that apartment, actually the girl first, you know, talked to me. She wants to have relation, but somehow, I mean, she was pretty good, young. But in my mind, you know, at that time, I wouldn't drink. And, you know, in my mind, said so maybe she drinks, you know, she likes to party or something. And I wasn't doing that. So I didn't even talk to her. You know, I was, I was embarrassed to say, I don't drink. I thought maybe if I don't say I don't drink, they're going to say, oh, he's like, a, you know, some person, like village people. And so anyway, I didn't start a relation with that girl, but it started with another girl, which uh, we got married. And when we got married, and uh, I started thinking about all these girls in the past a lot, you know, so... I start, you know, going to the places to meet the new girls. And even one time I met this girl and she gave me her phone number. So when I was in the apartment, my wife, she was going to go take a shower and <clears throat> I got this piece of paper. I was going to call her and she came back. She saw that and she found out I was calling another girl, so she was very upset, she was crying, and but she always forgave me, you know. So even after, you know, I was getting so depressed about the last girl, the one, you know, I was supposed to have a relation in Norfolk, I got so depressed and uh, I got sick, so we moved back to Texas to get some treatment. Anyway, I was getting better, and uh, we have two girls right now. One of them is 27, the other one is 22. I'm very proud of them. They are doing great. One of them, you know, getting master's. She got married. The other one, she graduated. She's a teacher at the elementary school. But always my wife, she knew I'm cheating on her, but, you know, she never... You know, she never got angry or she never said, I'm going to leave you or anything. So, eventually... So, did you continue to do that? Were you continuing to have relationships outside of the marriage? For temporary, you know. Yeah, but... 
just oh. for sex or something. Okay. You know, it was- I mean, that's still obviously infidelity. I mean, whether it's temporary or long term, uh, clearly something is going on. You know, there that we can, I think we're gonna have to talk about. But okay, so you yeah. you had you maintain that, and to this day, do you still do that? Well, actually, my wife she was Christian, and she became Buddhist. I think she was seeking some love somewhere else. I mean, even when we got married, actually, she's the one she bought the rings for me and for herself. I mean, usually I was supposed to buy the ring for me, but even when I lost my ring, she bought another ring, you know, to put it on. And I never like, you know, to put anything in my fingers or something. So, well, I don't, I don't know if you like to be married. Also, it sounds like. No, actually, uh, when I met other girls, always, you know, you know, love my wife, you know, because she was educated, she was nice, she was good looking. But I didn't express my feeling or my love. Even my wife, she said, you never say I love you or anything like that. And plus, I think since her major was psychology, she said, you always get bored easy. You know, you just mm. you have to look for some other girls or something. I don't think it was that. I don't think it's that either. That sounds almost like excuse to me. Um, but that's my point is, I, I mean, maybe you... You were married to her, you, you loved her, liked her, but um, I don't think you wanted to be married as in get very close to one person. It doesn't seem like you were trying to be very close to her. And that that's one of the reasons you might have been with these other people. Now, we're at a commercial break, but I do want to talk a little bit more about what was going on. We might have to go a little bit into your past more to understand it, but it seems um, clearly that you, you were married, but you weren't really in that marriage 100% and maybe still aren't because I asked you and and you didn't really answer the question, but I'll ask you again after the break. But just hang on the line. We'll talk in a few minutes, okay? Sure, thank you. All right. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Talakwi. We'll be right back. back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 before the break we were with the caller caller are you still there yes oh right so you were telling us about um your experiences now we've been married for i don't know maybe 30 or so years and 35 years 35 years and so during this whole time you've mentioned being have you been unfaithful throughout the marriage up into the present day No, doctor, I don't think so. <laughs> you don't. If you, well, you, you know, you think you don't think so, but who can I ask if I can't ask you? Uh, have you been or you haven't been? It seems like you, you. When I asked you before the break, you also avoided the question. Well, I was going to finish that. The okay. last woman came to my life, and this is really hurt me so bad that I got so depressed, and even uh, at that time. How long so ago was this? I was hearing some voices in my ear, and you know. Well, I was going to explain, Doctor. I don't think I'm the sex maniac. I'm. I'm I not saying that you of... are. I, I wasn't suggesting that. I'm trying to understand what's the, what's been going on. Okay, so you got so depressed. You said you were hearing voices in your head. In my ear, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, you know, voices. And what what happened to me actually? 
my my wife became Buddhist, mm-hmm. and uh, she changed. I mean, uh, as a physically also changed. So how did she change physically? I mean, she gained weight. You know, she wouldn't. You know, some Buddhists, you know, like cutting their hair so short, and you know, she wouldn't. You know, you know, dye their hair. You know, she's uh, getting gray hair. So actually, it was okay with her to. I meet, you know, some other woman, and I wasn't so, actually... So wasn't she was okay with you dating or, or being with other women? Yes. Okay. And this was how long ago did this start? Well, the last relation back in 2012, I mean, I was doing a lot of yoga. I mean, I take care of myself. I play soccer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 64 years old, but I look much younger. So I was doing the yoga. I mean, I was doing it for 20 years. So back in 2012... So when I finish my, you know, end of the class, you know, I roll my mat to lead, and suddenly this beautiful girl, she just came, said, hi, how are you? And I said, hi, how are you? I mean, I know she's interesting, but I just kept going. And that was uh, on Saturday. So next Saturday, I mean, I never, I never, you know, knew her and I didn't I mean I didn't know she was in my class before I I know some of the girls you know because they were coming for a long time so next Saturday so when I was living again so she just came to me and and this time I stopped so we started talking we went to her car and she said she's been married for 10 years she has two daughters five and three and she was married with this man, and he never loves her. So she's getting divorced, and the divorce is final, and we exchange the phone, and then she texts me. She said, are you coming to the class? I mean, that was a Monday, and I said, no, I'm not. And then next time she called me, she said, how about come to this park? You know, there's a park in my, uh, my town. So when we went over there, you know, we went walk and then uh, came back to her apartment. She was just so kind to me. I mean, like other girls. So this time I told her I'm still married, but you know, my wife she's Buddhist, she doesn't care. So we start having relation, very good, and uh, even she introduced me to her daughters which is not supposed to that because no, we have agreement. Th- yeah, this sounds like there's a there's a lot going on here that's not that's not okay. I'm, I'm still trying to figure everything out. So your your wife is okay with you being with other women. And but yes, okay. Even but but how do you was, So what is the relationship you have with your wife? I'm trying to understand how is this a marriage? Actually, do you have any relation? I don't just mean sexual. Any, I mean relationship. So, yeah, we were just good good friend, you know, we have Good daughters, you know, we have a very good life. You know, we travel, even I took her to Iran, we travel everywhere. Our daughters, you know, they're great. So I don't know, I didn't communicate with her, you know, like, if I'm cheating on you, why you're not getting divorced? Maybe she doesn't believe the divorce. Maybe mm-hmm. she just loves you so much, or she just wants mm-hmm. to be. I don't know, I don't see you much know. of a relationship between, both of you seem like you really I don't know why you guys didn't want to get married. It doesn't seem like you don't seem like you want to be very close to any one person. 
Um, well, I see at that time, you know, this uh, in United States usually man or woman they date other, you know, people, and then finally they find the, you know, right. the one they love them so much. But my situation, I never get. I mean, I mess it up. I didn't date all these girls. They came to me. No, okay. I never get, Hold on, but you can't. You mean after you got married, they came to you? Even. Yes, even after the marriage. I know, but no, that's your. But I'm saying, okay, if you're in a marriage, you, people aren't uh, faithful to their husbands and wives because because no one comes up to them. It's a choice to be faithful. So just because you're saying passively, I you know, people came up to me, that makes me not at fault. That's not the case. So if, if you're having an affair, you're having an affair. Whether you approached or they approached, the wrongdoing is still there. Or you know, having that relationship, it's still the same thing. Um, but it seems like you're saying that because I didn't get to really date, once I got married, I started dating. Well, I mean, even the last uh, woman, which is, oh, I forgot to tell them, at that time she was like 32 years old, and I was like 58, 59 years old. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, physically, we have a great time together. So, I mean, the, the the problem I want to, you know, discuss with you, doctor, is I didn't even communicate with her. You know, like uh, she was very kind, very passionate, very romantic. Even, I mean, at that time, even when I was coming home, like three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, and uh, my wife, she asked me, "Did you have a good time?" I mean, I didn't answer. I mean, she wasn't angry; just she was asking me this. The problem, I didn't communicate with that woman either because she was, when I was, you know, I didn't have to come home because at that time, my older daughter was, she was 22 and my younger was 18. So they're already old, you know, and my wife wasn't upset, but I didn't explain or talk to the other girls like to say, hey, I love to be, you know, with you until the morning. She always saying, "How about to be in the, you know, stay until the morning?" And I said, "No, I have to go," you know. Mm -hmm. And even she was so kind when I was putting my clothes on, she sat down and she put in the socks on my, you know, my feet. Okay. And then she called me next day. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was saying like, "I smell your clone in my bed," and I never respond that, you know. Same thing with all these women all my life. So, well, I get the, you know, um, again, the, eventually the her friend, they want to, you know, she was talking about, you know, actually she was a religious person too. She wouldn't drink. Actually, she graduated from, from one of those uh, schools. I don't know, they call it God of, God of Assembly or something like that. Okay. She had a degree from there. So she was talking to her friend about me, like, you know, to have, we have a great time. So some of her friends, they want to, you know, check me out, you know, one night one of her friends came to our apartment and she started asking me a question she said are you still married and i said yes i'm still married and she asked me are you still living with your wife i said yes and uh after that i seen her friend and the church i think uh telling her like she's doing the adultery because i'm still married and uh, but She's still calling me, you know, like she said, you're married, this is not right. And 
So what was your, your you said you had a question, but I didn't really hear one. Okay, the question, same thing, I messed up with this woman. I didn't communicate right. I got depressed and I got, you know, so sick. I lost so much weight. But eventually with exercise and with the meditation, I'm getting better. But I just feel so much guilt. Plus, I love that woman so much. I love my my wife. But, I mean, not as a, you know, physically I don't love her. But as a person, even now she's gone for almost two and a half months. She went to Germany. She goes to travel to other temples, other countries. She's busy with that. So it was okay with her. I mean, she, she found the happiness at the temple and... I can't even divorce her, and nobody's gonna. Uh, nobody wants to have any relationship with a married man, so she's not getting divorced, and I cannot divorce her. Why can't you divorce her? I just, I just can't. I have a great, you know, relationship with my daughters, you know, even. Okay, that doesn't change. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to, but I don't, I don't agree with that. You can't. Because um, if you ask me, you guys aren't really married the way you're talking about it. I mean, he she leaves for months. You're having relationships with other women. I don't understand what, you know, mar- it doesn't sound like marriage. I understand on paper it is, but in any kind of reality, it doesn't seem like there's anything going on. And you're getting depressed about other women. I mean, you know, this is not exactly, you know, marriage. You mentioned very briefly about your own family. Your Your father was very, was abusive towards your mom. Yes, actually, the, uh, I'm from the first wife. He married another woman. I mean, he was a great, they were saying he was a very great man, but after he married with another woman, he was just changed, you know. And my mother was upset. My older sister was upset. So always fight what's going on. You know, we have a three-story house in Tehran. So he brought his second wife, you know, living, you know, second floor. And your your mom was still in the home too. Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, seemed like he was going crazy. I mean, he just I saw so much violence. Mm. You know, beating up my mother. You know, when I was a kid. You know, just but I I came okay. You know, like during all this time. You know, for at least until I came to United States. So. Well, I mean, I don't want to say you're not okay, but I think clearly what you saw in your own home has affected the way you feel about marriage and about women. It, it doesn't seem like you have a lot of respect for them, for your wife and how you treat her. Well, the point, I didn't want to, you know, marry that way, you know, in the beginning, you know, I know she loved me so much and I did I mean, but you make it sound like you did her a favor, and you make that you make it seem that way a lot of times. Like you're doing people favors by letting them be no, with actually, you. It was my favorite too because uh, I could stay, you know, United States. Right. Plus, I didn't want to leave Virginia. I love Virginia, you know, that beautiful state. I didn't want to move to Texas at that time, but eventually we moved to Texas anyway. But the the point, since we, you know, some people. They don't want to, you know, get married. You know, they go through the very bad divorce, very nasty, 
but I never have this all this problem. But I'm getting older. I'm just getting worried. I want to have relation with another woman, you know, because I always have a good experience, even with with my wife, you know. At least we are still together. You know, we didn't have any nasty relation, or you know. Well, you guys didn't have any relation, is what what it sounds like. Well, even friendship—that's relation. Okay, us, sure, you know? but I'm saying, but my the reason why I'm saying that is I know you're saying well, I want to, to to be in love, or you know, I'm not sure exactly what you mean because you're having lots of relationships. When you, I don't know what you mean by have a relationship, but it it, it doesn't sound like you're going to be someone that's actually going to want to be very close to one person. I'm not sure as much as you think that's what you want, based on what you're telling me. If you were divorced and you could be, you know, meet someone and fall in love, I think again you would be with other women. The way you're describing yourself. Well, I'm just worried about you know getting old. I mean, I'm even I'm 64. When I meet another woman, you know, even the 60 or something, they're not you know attractive to me anymore. I mean, the looks. I mean, I think. Sometimes women they get older and you know they look older than the men you know, but sometimes okay, yeah. But I think the feeling I get more and more is that you, you a woman to use more just the physical, like you want a physical relationship. But I don't know if you really want, again, like I'm saying, an emotional, and intimately emotional relationship with anyone. You'd like to have relations. I, I do. Even when okay. I was young, I love to see those movies like a. Romeo Juliet or Doctor Zhivago, is but those even, are fantasy. It is fantasy. That's a. Well, I mean, that's and, fantasy. I mean, that's not a real. You know, it's imagining. Well, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, they were like thirteen and fifteen, I think, when they met, and they, you know, it's it's kind of. Yes, we think of it as a beautiful love story, but it's kind of crazy too. It's not realistic. I'm not sure if you, what, what you're imagining of love is is anything real. Are you really you? I don't. I think you would want it in fantasy, but I'm not sure you'd want it in reality. Well, I don't know if your dog agrees with me or with you, but she has an opinion. But you know, I, I don't think I see, I see you as being someone who wants to be with someone. The way you describe it, and there's a way that you talk about all the relationships. Again, I know you said yes, getting married gave you the favor of citizenship. But like you're doing a favor to these women. I think seeing your father and the way he just brought a woman into the home, I know in, in Iran it's not that rare. Uh, but there seems to be something that that's rubbed off on you that somehow I don't think you see women as equal to, to men or equal to you. Advice from you, that doctor. So, well, hang on. You can, we can, we can. If you have a specific question, hang on the line. Let's talk after the break because I do want to hear what you're, what you're thinking. Okay. okay. Sure. All right. Um, you're listening to In Session with Doctor Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back.
welcome back. We were with the caller before the break. Caller, are you still there? Yes, doctor. Okay, Hello. hi. So you said you had, I want to let you ask, you said you had a specific question I want to get to, and I definitely have some more thoughts, but I want to let you get to your specific question. First of all, I want to, I mean, I try meditation, I get better, but it's still in my mind, I just, this guilt that it was my fault. I mean, I lost even the last woman. I mean, I, I just, I, I just could talk to her, see you know, what kind of relationship she wants to have with me, or I'm ready to marry another woman, you know, because... I but I thought you told me you can't get divorced. I mean, I don't think that's true, but you said you can't get no, divorced. No, what I'm saying, if I knew, if I communicate with that woman, like even when I was with her, she was, you know, laying next to me, she didn't just talk to me, and I said, talk about what? I mean, I knew she wants to hear something nice from me, but I just, I don't know my selfishness or ego, just, mm-hmm. I never say anything nice to her, just all this bothering me. I mean, this is my point. If I show all my love, express all my feelings to the woman, if the woman you know, leave me, I don't think I get any upset. But if the woman, you know, very, you know, all this kindness, all those passionate, you know, all this, you know, love and I mess it up it just I can't get over at that I mean just I just it's gonna be a mm. rest okay. of my life you know I'm trying to hard hard to like you know I think if I met another woman which is I did last year I mean this guy introduced me this woman in Iran and we went to Kish actually she was 32 I mean she's it was good looking but uh, she wasn't my type, you know, she was drinking, and I don't drink, I mean... Okay, but, but see, even this details, like, the way you're saying these stories, okay, so what what does this story have to do with anything? Well, the story, I'm just... It's almost like you want to remind me, like, all these women, you're reminding everyone listening that all these younger women are after you. Actually, I'm not, I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, they don't have to be a younger woman. I mean, as long, even if the woman is six years old, you know, good shape, take care of themselves, you know, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's okay with me. I'm not just looking for the younger one. This is wrong. Actually, I don't like this. Okay, but one thing, it does seem like you're looking like you're, you're just looking for sexual relationships. You don't want a relationship. No, doctor, I don't think so because okay. I love to go to travel with them. I love to go... I shall ride my bike in a beautiful park. I need someone to be with me. I don't want to be my wife. Just go to the temple, you know, gain weight, you know, just... But but why? But you've neglected, you, you haven't, you had a relationship with, or maybe you never did, but you're not investing any time in the relationship with your wife. If you're saying you want that and you have someone, why weren't you investing into this relationship if you want a close relationship? I think, doctor, it's too late. I mean, the... The woman I met in yoga, so she was in good shape. She take care of herself. You know, she watch what she was eating. But seemed like my wife. She doesn't care anymore. You know, she said, "Hey, you know, I love to do this. I don't. You know, I'm happy." And that's her philosophy. She said, "You should be happy too. You know, you shouldn't be happy if you know I'm I'm look like this." I said, "No, I want to be 
you know, look healthy. I want you to be, you know, to be able to come ride a bike with me or do the yoga or even go, you know, travel. I mean, it's not just for sex, doctor. Okay, so why don't you travel with your wife? She just went to Germany. Why didn't Why didn't you want to go with her? Well, first of all, I mean, I'm still working and uh, she's retired. And okay, plus, but, but so for everything I, I, I say, I, you have I, an I excuse. Why don't you travel with your wife? If you're saying, I want to travel with Doctor, her. Even I've been to the temple so many times. I'm the nature guy. I mean, I was just going crazy to be in the temple, and I see those idols just sitting, and they're not moving. I enjoy to see just the trees. Okay. So but what you're, I, I'm just yeah, letting you know. What, I know, but that's uh, that doesn't... I mean, I don't think... If you go travel with your wife, I don't think she'll say you have to sit inside this temple and never move and you can't look at a tree. But what you're saying, I'm just letting you know, it's not really making sense. It, it does, doctor, because she doesn't look at the last woman I met through the yoga. She just, that woman just much, much better, you know, better shape. No. Okay, but that's what I'm. Okay, so I'm. It's hard for me to accept that you really want to get close to someone and you're not looking to have a sexual partner. You want to have a sexual partner that you do other things with. Yes, you're not just only going to have sex, but you're not looking. You, you don't want to get close to anyone. I don't feel that at all, even slightly, that you want to get close to someone. And even by being with multiple people, you don't have to get close to anyone, and that's a lot safer for you. And it doesn't seem that you respect women as equals. Because all the women you're with seem that they're okay with you using them and treat you in a certain way like they put you on a pedestal and you like that. But that's not a relationship. You're, you're just, and this is what happens. We usually find people, we, we, we match. You're someone who wants to be with women and treat them in a certain way, the way you don't give them a lot. And you're finding women that are okay with you not treating them well. And No, actually, doctor, I mean, let me tell you one case. When I was a student, working at the hotel. His family came to the hotel. At that time, I was like 28. And this girl looks young, but seemed like she loved me. She invited me to the pool. When I Love you? Was, Love is a strong word. But I she, mean, she, okay. she was just interested. Interest, yes. Like, she was, you know, I'm sorry, I said love you. But she looks like, you know, she loved because when I was at the pool, she just hold me and I didn't communicate. I, I was just worried about, you know, maybe she's underage, but I never asked her. I should, if I, you know, worry about the age, I should say, hey, how old are you? I didn't do that. I mean, I didn't treat them bad. And she just, you well, know, I, I don't understand how that's treating. Why would that be treating someone that doesn't make any sense? You're saying by not asking if she was underage, you were somehow being respectful to her? No, I, I didn't say that. I, I said it was my fault to not to communicate with her, okay. to make sure to get to know her. I'm not saying that. Even when she was going back, she was from, I was in Oklahoma and she was in Missouri. Even if she was going back, she gave me her phone number. She said, call me. And I did call her. She said, oh, come over here. You stay with me. I never asked her, you living with your parents? Are you, how old are you? Because, uh, you know, you look young. You're so beautiful. You see, that's what I lost. I never, I, I didn't go to her place. I mean, just forget about it. So maybe it was just a, like a four hours drive from my, you know, my city to over there. I never did that. It's, that's what I'm talking about. This is the woman, the girls are lost, you know, so it I, was just. The, none of it has sounded like love. And even in the story, again, you're saying I didn't want to ask her about herself. I'm, I'm not saying about the love, but I'm 
saying, you know, I could have relation with her, maybe end up to the, you know, better relation, even to getting to know mm-hmm. her, maybe I fall in love with her. Right, I but the fact... I that. It, but, but that's my point. The fact that you don't want to do it is, is showing that you don't want it. You're saying, I have all these chances and I didn't do it. So that shows that I want it. No, that shows that actually you don't want it. If you had the opportunity and you ran away from it every time, that tells us, yes, you're scared of something. You're, you're probably... That's why, that's why just blaming myself that I didn't know how to... No, it's, not about, no, it's not about communication, about words. It's that you don't want to get close to anyone. That's not about... I'm not, yes, it's not, I, actually, I was lonely. I didn't have any girlfriend at that time. And this girl came to me. Obviously, I want to have a relationship with her. It's not, it's not like I don't want her. I just mess it up, doctor. You know, no, I know, but I, I think you're missing the point. Having a sexual relationship with someone is not the same as getting close to someone emotionally. Honestly, some of them, actually, when I was dating, actually, the girls was my class, you know, she invited me when I, you know, you know, we never been in Iran, so I was in Iran. Over there, boyfriend, girlfriend, no, no, you know, mm-hmm. you were scared from the parents. So she asked me to come to her house. So when I went over there, she was living with her parents. Even the, uh, the, they invited me to dinner, so I was sitting, ate the dinner with them, and then after that, you know, we were going to go to the to the beach. And uh, actually, when I was driving, that was in the winter time. we were passing this hotel, and she was saying, I wish I was in the hotel with a bottle of champagne. I knew what she wants, but I was just saying nothing. I was just like ignore her. And then even when she wants to have a sex, because she was in my class and I did I didn't have a girlfriend at that time and I wanna have a sex but I just match her up. I said, Oh, we should wait, you know, we should get in knowing better but she's when she's ready to have the sex and I don't have any girlfriend, I don't have any wife. I just mess it up. I should, you know, it's nothing wrong to have a sex. You know, that's part of the life. Okay. Anyway. Well, I'm trying so, to understand. So this is an example. That's 40 years ago that you're telling the story. My point is, if you want to know how I'm seeing you, if what you're telling me is all true, you're, you're someone who, because of what you went through in childhood, what you saw with your father and how he treated women, how he treated your mom... It affected significantly how you look at relationships, and you just see women as something to use. Actually, and, doctor, I didn't yeah. learn. I mean, the people, some believe, they said, some people that like a serial killer, they said, oh, my father was a violence. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn anything from my, my dad. So it didn't I'm affect very, you at all? I'm, no, I'm very kind. Okay. Even the dog, you know, the, I'm your backyard. The dog, my wife, she brought the dog. And actually, I mean, I love dog, but, you know, mess up my, you know, my flowers, everything. But even she brought, I accept it. And I love it. I kiss her. Okay. My dog. I'm very kind. This is. I'm not saying you, you're not, you can't necessarily, you can be kind. I'm not saying you're not. But I'm saying as far as relationships go, from what you're telling me, you don't want to be close to someone. Now, if you want to go to, to therapy and look at this more deeply, I would really recommend that. But the way you're describing relationships and the way you tell me about your relationships, I don't see any even ounce of you wanting to be very close to someone. Doctor, it's not true. I want to have a relationship. I love to travel. Actually, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Every time I talk about 
relationships. You start talking about riding bikes and traveling. I'm saying being close to someone, connecting with someone. I don't think you have any desire for that. Yes, do you want to travel and have a girl by your side? Sure. I don't, I don't doubt that. I'm not saying you don't. But I'm saying actually being close to someone, I think it's actually so foreign for you that you're not even sure what I'm talking about. That you have these relationships that are very shallow and very superficial. And even the pain and the depression you felt about that woman, more than likely you were feeling the pain of your mom and how your father treated your mom. And now maybe you were feeling her, making her feel that way. And you have a lot of un healed wounds from your childhood that I know you think don't affect you, but it seems like absolutely they do. When you hurt that woman and you went and you said you got depressed for so long, that doesn't make sense because the relationship you described with her isn't that close. So we know that the depression you were feeling wasn't just about her, it was something from your past, and it would make sense. What you saw, how your father treated your mother, must have really been difficult and created all sorts of feelings within you, and maybe even a guilt that I'm supposed to save that woman, I'm supposed to save this woman now. So what you're describing to me has definitely damaged you in childhood. And when it comes to relationships, the way you see people is there's something to give you something, there's something you get out of them. And if they don't have something to give you, you don't really care much for the relationship. And as far as an emotionally intimate relationship, it doesn't seem like you have a desire to actually have one of those. And that's why you've created this perfect situation. 35 years of marriage, you're married, but you're not close to the person you're married with. And you have these other relationships in a very safe way where you know really nothing could come of those relationships either because you're still married. So you found this perfect balance to get what you want, which again is to have relationships that aren't very emotionally close. Well, I agree with some point maybe the yeah, that my childhood effect but uh, yeah I remember even when I was uh, you know like a teenage or something I get some you know sometimes depressed but you know having you know having good friends and you know going to the good movies and uh, play soccer those are all good things and I hope you do those and enjoy them but I think what you experienced in your childhood has significantly affected how you look at relationships as far as being emotionally connected to one person which is what a romantic relationship is I don't think that feels good for you or feels safe for you and so what you've created for yourself is exactly what you're looking for at least now now maybe you feel like there's an emptiness in that you want something closer to there's a desire but the way it seems, you're very afraid to get so close to one person, actually get close. And if you want my opinion, I'd say go to therapy and be ready for a long-term process because you have a lot of wounds that are dating back 60 years. So it's going to take some time for them to heal. But I would hope you, you go ahead and you, you do that. Well, uh, I did some getting help um, in my, over here in my town. And... Uh, all they do just listen to you and they don't say anything else. I mean, just... A lot of therapy is like that. And what, what you would have to go through is a long-term therapy. So be, I would say give six months to one year with one therapist and, and see what effect that has. But commit at least that much time and, and see what's going on. You know, I want to give other callers a chance too. I appreciate you calling in, but I really do hope you go uh, 
get that therapy because you deserve it. Your childhood sounds like it was really difficult. And what you're dealing with probably won't go away. I think uh, if I get into another relation, maybe by now I know how to communicate, how to be... But like I said, I don't think it has anything to do with communication techniques. It has to do with the desire to actually be close to one person based on what's happening. So your problem hasn't been you haven't known the right words to say. It's that you haven't really been wanting to be in a relationship. So like I said, I do got to go to the commercial break. Um, the issue you're dealing with is more than just uh, communication techniques. It's about something much deeper. And I hope you go and get that help that you, you deserve because really I think it can help you to get to where you want to go, but without it, you probably won't get there. But thanks again for your call. Thank you so much. Sure. Doctor. Bye-bye. All right. We've reached our last commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. Now, related to the last caller, I did mention intimacy a few times, and it did make me want to, in the last segment, talk a bit about this, this issue, because um, we can throw that term around a lot, fear of intimacy, and even I do it on this show. Um, but like many psychological issues, fear of intimacy is something that maybe we all have, but it's a matter of degree, just like we can all feel depressed at different times in our life, but there's a huge range of how much depression we might experience or anxiety. No one has no anxiety, but there's definitely a degree. We can pretty safely say that there is a fear of intimacy that all of us have because to be in a very emotionally intimate relationship and to fully be vulnerable and committed and connected to one person is a slightly scary thing. Um, we know that in relationships, there's no guarantees. There's no sure things. We can never be assured that the relationship will work out or that our partner won't hurt us. And to enter into a romantic relationship takes some amount of risk that I'm going to allow myself to get close to someone, to get connected to someone in such a way that they can actually hurt me. It's like, you're choosing to give someone the power to hurt you, but trusting that they won't. That's what an emotionally connected relationship comes down to. You are giving them that power because it will hurt if they hurt you or if they end the relationship, but you're trusting that they won't, but knowing that there is no guarantee. So we have to accept that this fear of intimacy is pretty pervasive. Most of us have it to a certain degree, and it's what keeps a lot of us from getting into relationships. Now, there's different ways that this shows up. Sometimes we don't get into relationships at all or don't get married at all. Or sometimes we create relationships or have relationships that aren't very connected. Um, and what I was feeling from the last caller, but it's not just restricted to him, is that the relationships that he was creating were in a way where he wouldn't have to get very close. And unfaithfulness is actually one way to accomplish this. Um, 
if I am not in a relationship with one person but with multiple people, well, then I'm not really giving myself fully to anyone and no one has as much power to hurt me. This is why I've commented before that although sometimes people think it's a sign of masculinity if a man is married and he also has many mistresses or is dating and being with lots of people, it's actually not a sign of strength. It's coming usually almost always from a place of weakness. That because I am so afraid to be fully connected and committed to one person, to give myself fully to that one person, it's much safer for me to give myself to many people or really not give myself to any of them, but have so many people around so that not no one single person can hurt me very much. How much can someone hurt me if I don't really fully give them my heart? So it's interesting because although on the surface, it looks like a strength, right? This man can have many women and is with many women and really even can't give himself fully to one person because it's not enough. It's coming from a place of weakness. And that's usually how we see a lot of these psychological issues that on the surface is one thing and the flip side of the coin the underneath, the underlying feeling is actually something quite different. So although we might be feeling that it's coming from a place of strength, it's coming from weakness, just like narcissism itself. When someone is narcissistic, although on the surface they seem so confident and cocky and have so much belief in themselves, we know that it's compensating for a sense of inferiority, of not being enough, that they constantly need to have this grandiosity and for people to see them in a certain way to serve as a defense for what they feel is a weakness. Similarly, someone who chooses to be with many people um, is doing the same thing. Because they feel that they might not be enough for one person, they almost make themselves feel or act as if they're too much and they need to be with many people. But now coming back to this issue of intimacy, what we really want to pay attention to in preparing ourselves for a relationship, or even if you already are in a relationship, we first have to look at the relationship our parents had, because that is going to have a big effect on how we view relationships and marriage, on how we view men and women, how we, what we expect and what we will accept in a relationship. If we see a very painful relationship and a lot of disrespect, we might, one, not want to get married or get close to anyone because that's what we think a relationship will look like. Or two, we might create a similar relationship ourselves. We might have that same type of relationship. And this is why we always tell parents there's a lot of pressure on them in how they create the love between themselves and their partners, how a husband and wife relate in a home. As I always say, to be a good mother or father also means you have to be a good wife and husband. That is a big part, a big component of how you create um, or the type of household and environment you create for your children. And many parents will say, oh, I'm the best mom or the best dad, but, you know, our marriage is really bad and I'm not good to, you know, the kid's father or the kid's mother, but I'm a wonderful parent. Well, to me, that's not the full story. You're not being a good parent if you're also not being a good partner because what your children are going to see through that relationship is so important. And also that relationship helps create the context or the environment of where the children are raised. If it's a tense and there's a lot of uh, a relationship filled with fighting and negativity, well, that itself creates this hostility that's going to have uh, a negative effect on your children. On the other hand, some people think, well, it's safe if we have a very loveless marriage as long as we don't fight, that the kids are not affected. No, that creates the same kind of feeling. There's an anxiety, there's a lack 
of love that doesn't make the home feel good, doesn't make it feel safe, and again sends this message that this is what relationships look like and this is what they're going to look like in your own future. What you want to do is create that loving relationship where your children feel that. It almost is nurturing towards them to see the love between you, between husband and wife. It does trickle down to them. It affects how they're going to feel within that home. But as an individual, you want to look at your parents' marriage and see what was it like. Um, What were the gender roles like? Was it traditional where the man had certain roles and the woman had certain roles? Or was it more egalitarian, more equal? Um, was there a lot of fighting? What, were they actually close to one another? Because this is going to have a huge impact on yourself and how you're going to view your own relationships. And then truly ask yourself, how do I feel about getting close to someone? Uh, how do I feel about allowing someone to be my everything? Not literally, because we know you have to have your own self, but in that you put so much of yourself into this other person that their happiness becomes as important as your own happiness, their well-being as important as your own well-being. And recognize that for most of us, this is a scary thing. Of course, this is also going to relate to our self-esteem and how we value ourselves. If we don't think we're enough, then we're not going to think another person will see us as enough. If I don't think I'm good enough to, and I'm not lovable, well, how can I expect that someone will stay with me and continue to love me? And so this can make it very scary for someone to enter a relationship and fully give themselves to someone else because they feel that inevitably once they really get to know me, once they really get close to me, they'll go away. And herein lies the fear of intimacy, that fear that once I get close to you, once you see all of me, you're not going to love me because I myself believe that I'm unlovable. And unfortunately, the majority of us have this feeling, this almost unknowable essence about ourselves that we can't even describe exactly why, but emotionally we feel that we are unlovable somewhere in our core. And so if someone does see us, they won't love us. And so it feels a lot safer not to let anyone get too close, not to see ourselves fully. And so we might not enter a relationship, or even if we do, we see so many husbands and wives and partners who are not that close to each other. Emotionally, they never get that close. This is also another reason why relationships get boring, because if we actually don't fully express who we are and expose who we are to each other and be fully vulnerable, there's a lot less there. And the relationship becomes boring because there isn't as much to work with. But if we are fully vulnerable and open with our partners, well, then there is that chance to see that there's always something new to learn about one another. Our partner is very exciting because we're continuing to know them, just like we're continuing to learn about and know ourselves. And the only way to have a truly intimate relationship, an emotionally intimate relationship, is for both partners to feel okay enough with themselves to show themselves fully to one another. And of course, for both partners to love and accept all aspects of each other and to continue to want to learn about who the other person is throughout their life. So really think about yourself and your own relationships. Do I have a fear of intimacy? Have I allowed myself to get close to someone else fully, to really let them see who I am? And also, what was my parents' relationship like? Were they truly close to one another? Would I want to have a marriage like theirs? Is it possible that looking at their marriage or living with them through their marriage makes me not want to get married or creates a fear of intimacy or fear of what a relationship 
might look like for me and how that's affecting me. And of course, all this reflection can be very good, but as these issues came up relationally, we know that the best way to cure them or help us deal with these issues is through the relationship of therapy, that by building the relationship with the therapist, this can help heal a lot of these relational wounds for, our, for ourselves from our past. And also, the therapist, if they're able to create that loving, accepting environment, can allow us to start to see that as they love and accept us, we actually were lovable all along, and we can begin to love ourselves fully and love every aspect of ourselves. This is what can make therapy so powerful. One of the reasons it can be so powerful is that as you show yourself to the therapist and the therapist shows you that nothing about you is unlovable, that you're still lovable and accepting, even though you think you're showing these ugly, unlovable parts, it could change the way we feel about ourselves over time. In a way, it gives us that parenting that we didn't get from our own parents to show us that we were lovable and acceptable no matter what, and we can hopefully internalize that feeling. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Just a reminder again, the book for this week is How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. I'll talk about that next week. And also that I'm doing my seminar next Sunday, March 26th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. The title is Living a Life with Meaning and Purpose. Tickets are $40 at the door. Hope to see you then, March 26th. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Lockie. Thank you, Raman, here in the studio, callers and listeners all out there. Hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.